Welcome back to Pod of the Dead. I am your host, Nicholas. Uh, with me are my co-hosts. I am the wife, Stephanie, and I am known as the Harsh Critic. I'm the sister, Natasha, and I'm the inattentive viewer. And I'm your friendly neighborhood elitist scum. Uh, on today's episode, we will be doing our first double feature. Uh, so we're going to do these at the end of every month. And for our first double feature, we are going to be covering The Strangers from uh, 2008 and Scream from 1996. Um, we will be starting with Scream. Or not scream, I am sorry. We will be starting with strangers instantly through everyone for a loop. Uh, what is everybody's history with this film prior to watching it for the show? Um, I had no nothing. So I kind of went into this blind like I did our last movie. And I had seen like trailers or something because this is like a little bit bigger of a budget film. And I wasn't sure much about it until we started watching it. And then I realized it was like a slow asher home invasion type feel um and i didn't know that until we were literally just getting into it so i have no nothing until now um i've seen it before and i like it i saw it like not too long after it released uh at home and stuff like that i didn't see it in the theaters and i remember liking it uh when i when it first came out uh it did not hold up for myself uh but we'll see we'll see how it goes uh so the strangers is a 2008 american psychological horror film written and directed by brian bertino in his directorial debut and his first installment of the strangers film series the plot follows Kristen, played by liv tyler and james played by scott speedman who stay at a vacation home Whose, whose stay in a vacation home is disrupted by three masked criminals who infiltrate the home. The screenplay was inspired by two life, two real life events, the multiple homicide Manson family Tate murders and a series of break-ins that occurred in Bertino's neighborhood as a child. So did any of you know anything about this? No, no, nope. So it, like I said, it was written and directed by Brian Bertino. Um, it was, it stars Liv Tyler, Scott Speedman, Glenn Howerton as the friend. Did anybody notice who that was? <laughs> it was <Yep. laughs> Mr. Dennis. Yes, Reynolds. I did. I don't know him from anything. He just looked familiar. <laughs> so, um, and the budget for this film was $9 million. So I believe that's a little higher than any of the films that we've done previously. And its box office was $82.4 million. So it's kind of seen as a, a cult hit um, because it, it did do pretty well uh, in theaters, but it doesn't really get talked about uh, as much as a lot of films do. Um, let's see here. The uh, good old Roger Ebert had uh, a few words to say about this film. Uh, in his review for the Chicago Sun-Times, he gave the film one and a half stars out of four, saying the movie deserves more stars for its bottom line craft, but all the craft in the world can't redeem its story. <laughs> Didn't he originally give it a one, but then there was like one slight redeeming quality. And he was like, well, bump it up. One and a, one and a half. <laughs> all right. So uh, before we 
start digging into this film and everything, we will play our uh, our weekly game of one out of ten or ten out of ten, where I dug up some reviews on IMDb, and we will see if you guys can figure out which one's the one out of ten or the ten out of ten. This is another one of those even scarier because it could actually happen movies and it could obviously no superpowers no living after death no invincible serial killer it's all right here in reality things like this really happened and as always that makes a scary movie significantly more scary a recent unhappier couple stay for the night in a remote area rather far from civilization but not totally in the middle of nowhere three masked strangers begin to stalk them and the newly uh new in in newly unique ways if you are even the least bit interested in just suspense see this that has to be 10 out of 10 yeah there were no mean things that has to be yeah exactly yeah no they were positives yeah yeah the strangers started out promising the narrator made it feel like the movie was going to be violent well i think i may have fallen asleep <laughs> and here is a list as to why the acting is terrible there is barely any talking it is just music and shots of yeah. the strangers what that's true what they do in certain situations is so unbelievably <laughs> stupid I wanted to kill them. It feels like it goes on forever. They damped out all the colors too much. The movie was pretty much brown. There is no horror in it whatsoever. The Strangers is terrible. Don't waste your time. For those with the extended cut, I feel sorry for you. I wanted to kill them. Um, I mean, he could have been a part of the movie, I guess. But yeah. Oh. But he's Man, not that's he's ruthless. not he's not wrong though. I mean that is what happens in the movie. I mean it's very like on point. He just didn't like any of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I like these one star reviews because they're like really cutthroat and they talk yeah. like down to the bare bones of what these movies really are. <laughs> you should have so seen mean. the amount that I had to like not get they were really good, but they were so long. People that give one star reviews write diatribes. Have so much to say. Well, they do the same thing in anything. Like my, I write books for a living, and my one star reviews are far superior to like the other ones, and they go down to the nitty gritty of everything. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's flattering in a way because if people have that much of a visceral reaction to a movie or a book or anything, and they have to go out on the internet and just spew their diatribes, it's kind of like, didn't the person that you know created this stuff win because of that they put a lot of thought into what they're saying they did yeah it's one of those things where it's there's no such thing as bad press correct yeah well because like there's so many times it'll be like 10 out of 10 wasn't bad it's like well that's not what yeah. 10 out of 10 means <laughs> yeah exactly loved it that's it <laughs> yeah give me give me something give me what the one stars are gonna give me like yep. i yeah. want to know <laughs> <laughs> all right so, without further ado, we are going to throw up the spoiler warning. Beyond this point on Pot of the Dead, we are going to basically walk through the movie, uh, comment on 
what we thought of certain parts of it, what we thought was going to happen. We're basically going to run the movie through. Um, if you want to watch The Strangers, I suggest watching it now or fast forward to the scream part if uh, you want to do that. Um, otherwise, we are going to get into it with The Strangers from 2008. So, as the uh, review had mentioned, there is a cold open narrator talking about, uh, you know, based on true events and all this stuff. And it kind of gives you this, you know, uh, the, the remake of Texas Chainsaw and everything. Everything in like the early 2000s was playing this whole like uh, true crime angle at the time. And then you just hear the uh, the the sound of a nine one one call, and you hear a young boy going, "There's blood everywhere." And it's supposed to take place in like February of two thousand and five or something like that. So they're kind of giving you like a, a specific frame of reference, I guess. And I wondered if that was very significant, but I don't know if we really looked into that. If that was actually something, or they're just trying to build this in order to make it more believable. Yeah, because they had mentioned that, um, like during this time, there were there was a slew of of break-ins, and like this was just a part of it. I think it was one of the things that the narrator was saying. I personally didn't like the narrator talking. I would have liked it more if it was just like flashed up on the screen for us to read, and then or have like the overlay of the kids talking. But I thought the the narrator was slightly cheesy. So you're not one for movies for the blind. You you just Ouch. stick it to having to ha- having to read it and the de- the blind the blind get nothing. Ouch. Okay. Captioning's for. Uh, so then there's some soft spoken tension between the two leads. Yeah. And you're not a hundred percent sure what's going on here and are our lead male James uh, calls his friend to pick him up and he's just kind of like you, you think that they're together, but you're not sure what's going on, but there's just like this very, like you can awkward tension between them. Yeah. She's crying and he's eating ice cream and like, it's this weird, like, I don't know, like this build in a very like murky setting almost. Then we get a, a flashback to earlier in the night. Seems to be like a wedding reception of some sort. And uh, it, it's in a very like cute way. He's like lifts her up, like walking her out to the car and stuff. And she's talking about how cold it is outside. And we get our reasoning for why there's this weird kind of elephant in the room. And it's essentially a proposal gone wrong. He pulls a ring out from his jacket and she kind of holds back a little bit and tells him like, I don't think she flat out says it at this moment, but she, she refutes his proposal. Uh, But you, she says, I'm not ready. That's what it is. And after that, uh, you get her saying like in a, it seems sincere way. She's like, I'm sorry. It didn't go the way you wanted. I'm just not ready. So it's after the flashback. She does kind of talk about that a little bit. Uh, and then out kind of out of nowhere, it, out of the awkwardness, uh, James and, uh, Kristen played by Liv Tyler decide that they're going to get down to business. 
uh, right there in the kitchen of who I believe it's uh, their their parents, his parents' house. Uh, yeah, so just right there on the countertop. And uh, it's about 4 a.m. We find out because there is a knock at the door and they're kind of put off by it. And it's like, who's out here? It's like 4 a.m. Yeah. Uh, yep. They look out the windows and stuff to kind of see who's there out the people. But the front patio is darkened. And uh, there's a girl there asking for a specific name. Let me see here. I have it. Yes. Tamara. Uh, yep. Is yeah. Tamara there? Uh, is Tamara home? So a uh, so little uh, Easter egg here. The blonde, the blonde girl uh, makes her first appearance and asks if Tamara is home. Uh, Gemma Ward, who plays this character, also played in Pirates of the Caribbean Stranger Ties as Tamara. So she, she's kind of using the same name referencing and stuff. It's got to kind of be a nod to oh, that okay. uh, thing. Yeah, I was wondering what the significance of that name was. That's cool. But like, uh, there's actually like a really weird like lineage of things that have stranger in the title that people that are in this were tied to, such as Liv Tyler's dad, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Before he was in Aerosmith, he was in a band called The Strangers. Um, huh. There's a song that... Uh, repeatedly gets played uh, in this movie uh, by Merle Haggard and the strangers. And the song is called mama tried. So, so it's very interesting how all those things kind of tied up into this film. Yeah. But as I said, he looks out front. Uh, there's a girl out there, but in shadow because the he goes to flip on the light. It's not working. Um, and then she's just like, see you later, which is kind of eerie because the way she's speaking is in a very like when they say like it's kind of based on the Manson uh, family killings and stuff like that. It definitely has this like culty, like dream, like, all right, kind of feel yeah. to it. But it, she doesn't even say bye or anything like that. She's like, uh, are you sure? And then just wisps away. And at this point, is this when we realize that the the light bulb was unscrewed? Yeah, he fixes it. Yep, he goes out on the front porch and just screws them back in. So obviously showing some sort of tampering. Um, and then at that point, uh, Kristen is talking about how she's out of cigarettes. And James is like, I'll go get you some. She's like, no, it's fine. You know, I'll just go to sleep. And the tension's still there. And he's like, no, you won't. So I just need to drive anyway to, you know, basically clear his mind and everything. So he leaves to go get her some cigarettes. And the the weird thing about this movie is time passing. Uh, it has to do with the editing and stuff. Some things happen um, that it seems like it's like in a matter of five seconds, but it could have been 30 minutes. You don't really know. So basically, like once he leaves the house, the fire that he had made for her just 
right before I believe the door knocking incident happens, uh, the chimney just starts backing up like instantly. He leaves and then the smoke starts pouring into the house. Until she opens the flue and then the fire or the smoke detector starts going off and she takes the smoke detector down and it's like this very like methodical way that they run this the plot in this with that or did somebody close the flu when the blonde girl was at the door this house has so many doors true you do hear you do hear some thumping on the roof that like kind of startles her a little bit but it could have been like apples falling out of a tree or a you know a random animal um as the movie goes on clearly there's no goddamn animals out here it's just three crazy ass people yep (laughs) but uh she goes to call uh james on the landline because her cell phone's dead and it's a nice old school like nokia flip phone really setting setting the time you skipped something though. At this point, the, there's been knocking at the door again. Yeah, so the girl comes back, is knocking at the door. And this is even creepier because oh, from yeah. that part, she says the same thing with the same timing as the first time she said it. So knock at the door. Liv doesn't answer. She's yelling through the door. She's like, We already talked to you. Go away. And it's that same. Is Tamara home? That's Are you right. sure? That's 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 what happens right after James leaves. Then yeah. the chimney happens. So yeah, yeah there's the and knocking she, on the door, and yep, and that's finally when she locks, locks the, the door. Finally locks the door. Like yeah. you've had this one person show up at your door. The the light bulbs have been fucked with. Your your wannabe fiance leaves, and you just leave the door unlocked. Zach, the fact that he left. irritates me (laughs) after 4 a.m in the morning after somebody's already like banged on your house and it's creepy Mm -hmm. and like why and you're in the middle of nowhere like this makes no sense other than he's like emotionally distraught because she didn't agree to marry him at this point but at the same time it's like this is just weird and yeah she has like these old flip phones so they do play really well into the 2000 and i think five is when the movie was supposed to or the time is supposed to take place so they play really well into like that but um my favorite part is like right around this exact same time they have a song that starts playing on the uh the record player and it's a child song that says should we go outside and i was just like this is super creepy like what is going on in this house (laughs) The best parts of the movie, in my opinion, there's a scene coming up, but then all of the music cues of the record player and how it ties into what is going on. Um, if it weren't for those, it like that alone gives this movie a point Correct. for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, because it's quiet until the record player just ominously starts as, as if it's like its own character within the movie. It kind of is like the music itself is its own entity and the lighting in the movie is the same way. Yeah, this movie is aggressively silent. Like it is so quiet at times. You can literally hear like the the uh, like cicadas outside while they're inside. Like it's when you're used to like these big bombastic sounds and then the volume just drops out completely. It it's kind of shocking how quiet it gets Mm -hmm. at times. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at this time is when she goes to call uh, James, but the phone line goes dead 
when she's trying to do it. And I've just got phone line cut. Like, it's literally like, how would you kill somebody in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. In the early 2000s. Yeah. And the fact that he, that she was just like, can you stay on the line with me? Yeah. And then cut. Yep. So, uh, this is, this is my favorite scene in the movie. So she's in the kitchen and she gets uh, the remnants of a cigarette out of the ashtray. And it looks like almost a full cigarette. She lights it. and She's she's kind of just wandering around. And it's this really wide shot of the kitchen. Kind of see what looks like maybe the dining room off to the side and a massive uh, doorway that looks like it goes into a hallway and stuff. And at this time, she's walking around. And if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. But this sack headed character just comes in from out of the shadows and just stands there in this scene. It's like a static shot scene for a probably good minute or so mm-hmm. of her just walking back and forth, maybe getting like a glass of water and stuff like that. And then he just disappears back into the shadows they could have just ended the movie right there and I'd be like 10 out of 10. This is great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is one of like my primal fears is that scene right there. <laughs> yep. The idea of being watched without realizing you're being watched. It's Ooh. too bad in my opinion that it doesn't keep that in my opinion, that tension. Correct. Like, yeah. they, the first time they do that and everything, because Steph had just like, she looked down to write something down or whatever. And that scene happened. I just stopped it, rewound it. I was like, you missed something. And she's like, oh, okay. Then she's like, oh, right on. All right. So yeah, like it's super creepy. They used poor poorly. They ended up using it as like promotional pictures yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like, that's literally showing the boat sink. Like that's such a like iconic shot in this movie. And then they just kind of blow it. Well, during during all of this, so he's like, uh, I have the note here, like the guy in the white mask, and then it says he moved the fire alarm. So, like, he moved it from one place to another. We don't see that mm-hmm. on screen, but as we're kind of paying attention to her, he's supposed to be working his magic in the background here. And that's kind of what a lot of this movie is. It's a lot of, like, you're paying attention to her or one of the characters, and then they're doing their thing, and then they come back and show you what these other heathens or whatever you want to look at them as have done and it is creepy because they're like walking amongst them uh in a way where they're not even noticing it like you don't know that something's happened until after the fact and it's something so innocuous as just putting it on putting the fire alarm thingy on a chair yep like you just picked it up and set it down and that's like enough to cause like panic inside of her yeah, and <laughs> i imagine maybe it was at this time that her phone because she's got her phone charging would have this been also the time that they dealt with her phone probably but we don't see that till later but yeah it yeah. ends up in the fireplace and then we get a shot of that but it they don't really talk about it a whole lot it's just kind of a happenstance in the storyline yeah yep. at that at that time it's unplugged and from there she's already fucked mm-hmm. so but this but this is I can't say that you have to end the movie at that scene because we also get another for me iconic kind of bit oh, and that's yeah. where the record starts skipping um 
and people are slamming on the door and stuff like that. And uh, kind of playing off of like what Steph said earlier with it, talking about like these children's songs, like talking about going outside or you shouldn't go outside or can you go outside this time? It's just skipping, just saying good intentions, good intentions, good intentions for like three minutes. It feels like it's so long. It is so abrasive. Like it kind of causing. Yeah. It's, it's like becomes claustrophobic at that point. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So yeah, I've just got like record starts skipping good intentions, then shit goes sideways. <laughs> yeah, I have like metal, they have like door sounds and like, it sounds like wind chimes or metal or something that's like beating against something to create like this ruckus that is like basically amping up your anxiety if this kind of like plot gives you anxiety but it's giving her a lot of anxiety in the storyline and she cuts her hand in the bedroom on a lamp or something like that or a knife or something i'm not exactly sure it doesn't really show and she's just she's just going through it and until um the her boyfriend uh returns essentially can i add that she opens the sliding glass door blinds and before that as everything's happening and she opens it and I nearly jumped off the couch. <laughs> and all you see is the man in the mask staring at her. Oh yeah. That is that that one was more scary than the first one of him just standing really? there. Screamed out into the living room. <laughs> see, for me for, for me, it's it's so uh like messaged, like Oh, what's behind this curtain? Yeah. And and it it's there. Like Thank it's I know that, but that doesn't make it any less scary in this in the meantime. Like you know it's breaking horror movie rules by just whipping that thing open. But that was when you were talking about another one coming up. That's where I went was mask man standing mm-hmm. in the window. Like I don't look out the windows when it's night. Like the either the blinds are shut or I just walk right past them. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, James shows back up, and in the most like dickish boy way, po- boyfriend way possible, he like comes. And he's like, "What's going on? What's you know, whatever." And she's like, "There's people out here. They're you know, fucking all this stuff." He walks out of the bedroom she's in, looks just down the hallway, and goes, "No one's here." <laughs> like, hasn't checked anything. He's just like. Bitch, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gaslighting at its finest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the 2000. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> back when men were men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he almost man. seems dismissive. So, like, they do go around and look, but even then, it's almost like he's irritated by doing it, which yeah. just adds to how much I don't like him. I know. Well, First. then he goes on, like, the porch, and then he's like, I'm a big bad man you know and then he's like i'm gonna and we were just we were talking about that and nick's like i would do that too you know to scare people off and i was like go out and yell at the air (laughs) well yeah because it's like go on go on get go go on get stop playing with my moral haggard record and you're like i did something (laughs) yeah all right yeah are, are you ready are you ready to wed me now yeah well then his car's all jacked up right so he goes outside and then he's like oh well they fucking beat the shit out of my car that's nice and then like he tries to get his phone or something and like all that plays out i can't remember all like the exact specifics but it's just 
he's he still has this like very machismo like dude, nothing's gonna bother me and i'm just like dude you're stupid <laughs> yeah he goes in to get his dad's gun and then fesses up that he doesn't know how to use it yeah which I was wondering if that was going to like go any further as far as like the relationship component, because she's like, because she mentions like, but you told me you went hunting with your dad. And and he was like, yeah, I didn't. So like, yeah, it's this odd says, scene. Yeah, it's this odd he's scene. Like, That's that, just something I said. <laughs> yeah, I think those are his exact words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, why would you just say that? I wonder if they talked about it more and like the actual making of the movie. And then they were just like, we're going to cut this out because it's boring. Yeah. Yeah, because it it seems like there could have been two films in this movie. One that was uh, just an abrasive, like, tension-filled movie. And the other where it's a, like, melodrama about, like, this relationship kind of falling apart and everything. And instead, they decided to kind of smash it together. And it, for me, it just kind of, like, anything that you've you feel like you want them to go down that road to expand upon. They don't. Yep. But, uh, yeah, when he's going through his car and stuff, they, they try to start it and everything to get out, which good on them. They're like, fuck this. We're leaving. And we see a big old Ford F one fifty come revving up on them and smash the absolute living fuck out of the back of this poor Volvo. Yeah. That's already got its tires slashed and everything else is wrecked in it. And they're somehow still allowing it to drive. And now they're not. So it was uh, interesting to say the least. Yep. It's after the truck scene is when the shotgun is acquired. So they, he, he knows that there's a shotgun in this house cause his dad had one and he finds it on top of a bookshelf. And then the bullets are just in a random box in another room and they're just scouring up for these bullets. And he's literally just like, I don't know how to put this thing together. And that's when she's like, I thought you used to say you went hunting with your dad all the time. Just like, it's just something I used to say, or it's just something I said. It's it's such a shitty thing. It's like, yeah, uh, there might be more that I've lied to you about. Yeah. Well, and then the other part, this is the, the I call this like from a mile away, but when they're the friend shows up to pick him up and he goes into the house, like, you know, doing his thing or whatever. And oh, we're we're skipping a big part. What are we skipping? Uh, an axe through a door. An axe through a door. Oh, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> oh, the axe. The axe. Yeah, sorry. It's, that's axe. that's not on my list here. So it's not on mine either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's. It's just one of those things like it's just like kind of going through it. The movie just kind of goes through the motions like it's like, oh, car's fucked. Run inside, get the gun. And then they just start cut like in a shining esque scene. Just the the strangers start cutting through the door with the axe and he shoots through the door. And he's like, all right, I think I scared him off. Now oh, continue. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then, yeah. And then they go and they basically hold themselves up in another room, like ready to take on the world. And then the friend shows up and then. He's just going in the house to see what's going on. And there's a song, I believe, playing at this time. I could be wrong, but I believe there is. And it's because that's why he can't hear anything or whatever. Um, is that prison country song by the one you were oh. talking about. And uh, the lyrics of that song are really fucked up. <laughs> it's like my mama tried to keep me from going to prison, but I'm still a bad guy. Like that kind of that oh. thing and i was like oh my god this is terrible and so just 
you know, spoiler alert, we already know this because we're, we're talking about things, but you know, he shoots his friend and he goes down and I was like, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. You know that going in because the kid, the guy doesn't say anything. He did like, who would walk into a house after seeing that beat up car and everything else and not go, Hey, yep. is everything. Okay. Yep. <laughs> There's nothing. He's just asking for it at that point. Yep. You know, something bad's going to happen. Yep. He, he he went in there expecting things because of the implications, uh, as Dennis Reynolds would say. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he, straight like it's it's messaged like so hard. You know, you know it's going to happen. So that's not for me. That wasn't shocking uh, yeah. when he gets shot in the head Mm-mm. with a shotgun. That but he doesn't know the, how to shoot. So the build up to it, though, I really do like with him walking down the hallway and the sack guy following him slowly with the ax. That is yeah. cool. It, like that is the stuff I wanted more of, but instead we get it. Uh, Dennis Reynolds, RIP, you know, we lost a good one that day gets his fucking face blown off with a shotgun that, uh, what's his name? James, uh, is just now learning how to use. He's doing pretty good. Headshot on a second shot. Not bad. Yeah. I mean, Grant's a shotgun, but so Mike's dead. <laughs> my my notes from this from this point are just really bullet point because at this point I'm like, all right, let's finish this movie. Yep. Like, I'm getting very yeah. That's how We're I was too. At the, at the descent. Yep. We've hit. Yep. Yep. James gets snuck up on, knocked out basically. Um, because at this then, point they're running to the barn, right? They're like, "Oh, the barn has a has a radio." Did Let's they say there. that? I don't think I they think so. I don't know if they said it, but I know that's what she goes in there and she does. Like he, she can't find him. She goes in there, and I actually thought realistically that he was going to be strung up there. That's like classic horror movie, yeah, whatever. And I was actually wrong, so that was good. I was like, "Well, at least you didn't go down that route." I again. Just like an Oculus. I was hoping we were going to walk in there and he was gutted. So zero out of two guttings. No, One of these just, days, Nick, you'll get a gutting. Throw, yeah. Throw up the, throw up the counter. Yeah. Oh, oh, we do. We do get one in, in the second part of our double feature. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Finally happened. Yep. Oh, thank God. More than one. Yeah. But like, uh, I've got like Kristen runs and just fucking eats it in this yeah. ditch. Like, uh, Liv Tyler, if she did that stunt or whatever, uh, I know that she screamed so much in this movie. She gave herself laryngitis. Oh, and everything. Wow. And if like, she was going fucking whole hog in this movie and shit, she ate it hard. Like it looks, it looks really good. Um, also to get her to react the way that the director wanted to, he would tell her, in this scene, something's going to happen to the left of you and everything. Be ready. And then he would make like an insanely loud sound to the right of her That's to cool. get her shock mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah. Like you expect the fall. Any woman running through a, running through a forest without her shoes on is bound to fall. Yep. But the way they did it was, ugh, that's cringy. Yeah. Cause yep. they kind of, they kind of make it seem like she almost breaks her ankle or something. Yeah. Cause it's or like her neck. Steep, yeah. Steep drop and forward. Yep. Um, but yeah, she gets to the the barn and finds a shortwave radio. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. I haven't seen one of these in a long time. And she kind of gets some information out to somebody on there, but it's just like, help, help. 
uh, she should have been just like SOS, send the Marines, send everybody. <laughs> but like, she's like, just she's kinda, so like, soft spoken in this entire movie. Yeah. I just think that's Liv Tyler. I it, think yeah, if she's screaming, it's a whisper. <laughs> yeah. Come and get him yourself. Please. <laughs> like, please help me. But uh, yeah, after she finds the shortwave radio, uh, it is quickly destroyed by, uh, I believe it's uh, Pinup Girl, I believe is the name they go by for this one. With yeah. an axe, you get all the sparks and everything. More running. She then sees that the car is now on fire. Um, and then she goes in the house and this girl cannot do anything quietly. Nope. She Except talk. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing. <laughs> Literally just smashing through everything in this fucking house. Uh, knocking pictures off the wall and everything. But I believe this is where she, she sees Sackman. Not to be confused with Sackboy from the PlayStation. I think I would like this movie better if it were Sackboy running amok. But, uh, this is the second movie we've watched with sack-faced people. That's realized. true. Yeah. Trick or yeah. treat. Oh, it is. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Yeah. So that's yeah. Sack Boy. This is Sack Man. <laughs> although, <laughs> although his name on the credits is Man in the Mask. Man in the Mask. Okay. It should be Man in the Velour suit because that was the most impressive thing. <laughs> like his suit was just, it was just it. Was, yeah. He was dressed to the nine. He, he was. Terrorization. <laughs> yeah. He's. It's the only nine in this film is that suit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really do like the color grading, though. It really ties into the era. Yeah. It, I think it, it I do because it, it goes back to the Sharon Tate thing. Like it's based in the the oh, it's based in the early aughts, but it has that feel of like the 70s. Yeah, where does. everything's where everything's dingy. Well, even the masks have that feel a little bit yeah. to them. Yeah. Well, the director said that he, the masks that he chose for the film, he wanted them to be something uh, that you could specifically just pick up at a store yeah. to show that this isn't like some meticulously put together thing. This is a group of people that just picked up some shit and went to town. And it does have that feel like that's the one thing that I well, not the one thing. There's a, there's things in this movie that I do like. I mean, I, I'm ripping it apart and everything. But the things that it does really well, I think it does amazingly well, like the music cues, the the masks and stuff like that. Um, but um, what was I going to say? Yeah, from this, you can totally see a line, though, that can be drawn from the strangers to then. I'm not sure how many years later. So if this was in 2008, it was probably like 2012 or so. The Purge comes out mm. and it definitely lifts a lot of the home invasion not that the strangers invented the home invasion film but just like the feel and the masks and everything of this because even though the director has said that uh this movie is not a remake of a previous film and things like that there definitely is a french movie called them uh in french it's called ills that came out and i believe it was 2006 that is almost this identical movie um, the only difference is it's not three masked individuals. It's school children that oh, are shit. doing it. And it's a far more intense film. <laughs> so if you, ever get, 
if if you like it, came, it definitely it came out in like the new French extreme era where you were getting like high tension and inside and martyrs and stuff like that. But if you like strangers, but you wish it had a little more oomph, uh, definitely check out them. But if you love this movie, you love this movie. There's there's no there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. Well, let's get but into yeah. the ending. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so she's wandering around the house. She sees the sack man and the powers cut. So she decides to hide in the pantry. And the sack man sits down, kind of hangs out, looks at the ice cream a little bit that's been laying out and everything, and then goes wandering off. So you're you're expecting him to just come burst into the door where she's at. Um, it doesn't happen, but somebody else does. I it's I think it's Dollface, maybe. Dollface. Dollface comes bursting through the door tries to pull her out and everything um almost gets her and then backs off uh Kristen comes walking out why why does she walk out no idea just like at this point like just fucking kill him like it just keeps <laughs> it keeps pond like just dragging it on with nothing uh there's no there's nothing getting built here. It's just extending the length. It feels like they're just trying to pad out the time almost because this movie's almost two hours and it could have been an hour and a half, like an hour and a half, probably. Yeah. And probably given us better character stuff, too, because there are a lot of long hanging shots. Some of them are good. Most of them aren't, though, in my opinion. But she uh, boyfriend James gets thrown through. She's asking, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Best part of the movie. Oh, when they're tied to the chair? The line right here. When you said, why are you doing this? And for Dollface to just go, because you were home. I love that. You love (laughs) that line? I love that line. I I like the idea of that there isn't motivation, that it is just chaos and stuff like that. But by the time that line is delivered in the film, I'm like, fucking roll the credits (laughs) it got me back into it because like and i also like the cut of the of the man in the mask dragging her out so it's another quiet scene it's another like vulnerable scene where like it could have been loud and whatever but you see that she got knocked out and then it's just him dragging her unconscious body yeah which i thought was a good touch to which she awakes to them tied in the chairs in front of the three masked individuals. I believe this is the first time that you see all three of them at once and they're just standing over them. And again, could have just ended it right there. Well, then they remove their masks, right? So they take them off. We don't see them, but they, they, they reveal themselves to the characters. So I thought that was kind of cool. Cause then they're like, here, you're going to see me before I kill you basically. And that's kind of how it plays out. I mean, in a way, I guess like he, the, this movie doesn't have a happy, well, I guess it has a semi happy ending, but I, I was hoping two things in this movie when you're seeing everything kind of going down. So the first time you see, uh, sack man that's his name to me uh james is nowhere around so it kind of sets you up to think is he sack man is he going through doing this stuff and then at the end of the film uh we don't get any uh other characters really other than mike who is literally in this movie for fucking two minutes before he gets his face blown off yeah. but if we would have seen some people at the wedding party and stuff like that 
and then those were the three individuals that were killing these people. I think that would have been a neat reveal, like them taking off the mask, seeing the realization. It works in the sense where it's it's just some people doing some shit. But at a two hour, I think it's like an hour and 51 minutes. It just kind of drags on. And when that's your payoff, I just kind of left wanting a lot more. Well, then when they're leaving, the other thing is, is like they do all of this. You don't know like exactly who's alive and who's dead. They don't actually show you like anything. And then they're driving away in their truck and then they stop and they talk to these like Christian boys, which you see at the beginning of the film, which is the voiceover that's from the 911. So this is like a complete like circle around from the beginning and then come back. And they're the ones that find them which you know in the first part of the the movie but it just and, and then she just like screams when she wakes up because she's like laying on the floor or whatever and and it was just like that's how we're ending this film like really i wish it would have stopped when they had when you're just seeing the backs of their heads in the pickup truck like driving i off. agree that was my like it could have ended there agree. and been great well show I us think, the kids and then that's it yeah to know that it goes full circle yeah um I think the, I was I was thinking oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say end the film when James goes to get cigarettes and he never comes back. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't like the the part where she bursts back awake, but I could see that going really well in theaters. Like the makers may not have wanted it to be just a quiet ending where people shuffle out of the theater. This you have this big one last adrenaline rush, then the lights come on and the viewers are most likely like laughing or talking more about it. Possibly. So I don't think that, I don't think that translates at home. No, but no, I mean, if you are jump scared, like if you're easily jump scared, I can see it working and stuff like that. That, that stuff does not work for me at all. I am extremely easily jump scared. And at that point I was like, nah, okay. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I've got some. I got some films for you if you're easily jump scared. Dude, you know this about me. (laughs) It's so exciting. I am one of the most reactive people when it comes to watching movies. Send them all my way. I love them. Well, we'll be watching quite a few. Yeah. So that was the Strangers from 2008. Uh, On a scale of one to ten, sack men, Uh, man sacks. No, sack man. No, don't do that. <laughs> that. Yeah, don't. That that's bad. <laughs> no. Zero. Zero man sack. Yeah. Uh, uh, Natasha, what do you give the strangers? So I have two different ratings. I think it's really uh, request or recommendable, but it doesn't hit the same the second time you watch it. So the rewatchability of it is lower for me. But if we're looking at recommending it mainly, I'm going to give it uh, like a 7.75. 7.75. So we're going. She's going. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like seven and a half wasn't wasn't good enough, but I don't necessarily think I would take it to great. Well, because of that, how we have our bracket broken down, repeat viewing. I mean, I've already watched it multiple times. so. I'm talking myself into an eight. You're giving it an eight. We're going to give it a straight eight. Straight eight. All right. Damn. All right. Steph, what do you give the strangers? You guys don't want to ask this question. (laughs) Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. 
So uh, again, let's just preface this by remembering I did not know anything about this movie and I don't have a lot of experience with home invasion movies. I think I've watched maybe a handful of them over the years. So it's not really my genre. That being said, I did not like this movie. I there the, the music was the only part of this movie that in the lighting was the only two things that I felt were redeeming qualities. I'm a huge Liv Tyler fan. I loved her in Armageddon. I just she was great as Arwen in the Lord of the Rings series. But uh, her acting was great in this, but the storyline was just so lacking. There was minimal plot, and it was just very blah to me. And so I would, I gave it a four star. I felt like it was just not good. Like I would never rewatch this. I would not recommend it. I don't think that it was pleasing to watch. I was waiting for it to end. Like I was just like, are, are we done yet? Are we done yet? And if a movie's going to do that to me, I'm just like, I, I can't. Like when we watched Oculus, because I hadn't experienced that. I was at least um, entertained through the entire movie and I could really like resonate with some of it, like understand it and kind of that kind of thing. And this movie just kind of left me going, they had no motive. It was boring. I'm, I'm, it's a four. Uh, I give this movie, uh, so I'm giving it a, a full point for its music cues. Cause I like that, like little, you know, the little, bits where it's skipping and everything it works for that the oppressive nature of the silence from time to time i really like that the uh the set of the house so the all the outside shots are shot on location at a house uh everything inside that house is actually on a sound stage and everything i thought that was kind of neat um the uh, makeup director like the special effects and stuff how minimal there are uh when mike does get shot it looks good um the masks are very ominous looking it's acted well but to kind of reiterate runs way too long for what it is lacking of plot the beginning like sets up it's like kind of all right you know this like uh proposal gone wrong thing but then it, that doesn't feel like anything once stuff happens it doesn't it it just you could have cut that out at the beginning of the film and it would have been the same movie like that does not play out anything in this movie in my opinion i will say it's like in as a whole i don't think it does but for me at least i started to feel like I got like sad and it was slow. So it like, it set me up like sensory wise in a different spot than what you're, at least for me, what you're expecting a horror movie to start you off as. Like I was getting emotional because it was like heartbreaking is how sad it was. And then like, then the knocking starts and then you're like, you're just completely flipped emotionally, which I thought was like, it's something that's I haven't seen done before, but then yeah, it has nothing to do with the storyline. If the film was tightened up, and the fight, which we didn't even really talk about, the final killing of the two, which is the most lackluster. It's like a stab and a stab and like the and slow. Like, yeah, but it's it's not there's it's so I, this sounds horrible. It's so boring. I agree. And everything. Agreed. And like it, if that were a lot more tense at that time. It would have worked better, in my opinion, because she does say, you know, she's like, I love you. And like, there's a point where you see that she's wearing the ring and all that stuff because oh, yeah. she can't take it off. She puts it on and she can't take it off. She's not. 
excuse me, she's not wearing it because she changed her mind. She was going to take that shit off and it's stuck. So, oh, I didn't oh my, notice that. Yeah, she goes to take it off and she's like, ah. <laughs> so, like, there's just, it could have done a lot better. I like the premise of it, but for me, it's a swing and a miss. Uh, I've seen this film a few times when I was, when it first came out, I did like this movie. I would have given it probably an extra two stars for what I'm giving it now. Uh, I am giving this five and a half sack men out of 10. Uh, if you haven't seen it and uh, you're just looking for something that you can cut it, there's not a lot of narrative. There's not a lot of storyline going on. You want something to play in the background that, Maybe you haven't seen. I guess it's worth that. Uh, if it was on TV, I'd watch it again, but I'm not going to pull it out and put it in the the Blu-ray player or whatever. So I be- what does that give us, Tasha, for our total score for The Strangers? I seemingly have forgotten how to do math. This is saying... <laughs> The poor children that go to your school. I was just doing the average and it's coming out as 5.83 and that doesn't sound right. That sounds about right. (laughs) 5.83 is what we give the strangers. Well, would it be like a 58%? Is that what we're talking about here? I I think so. Hold on. Do you you want me to do the math? It's very simple. (laughs) I know. I've done it for weeks. What is happening? Check my math. (laughs) <laughs> all right here we go me... i am mathed out we went to an escape room last night and the entire thing was math related and i seem to have forgotten oh. how to do basic yes blame family <laughs> time that's that's the way blame it, blame it on the child you know i see you're just gas you picked up this from the movie just gaslighting gaslighting yeah. gaslighting <laughs> i don't know what i'm hey i fessed up i said i didn't know what i was doing I just gave an excuse as to why I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you got like I think it's like fifty eight percent. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. failing. Not good. But, it's definitely right. one that I would watch again. I would not pay for it. We yeah, go. we paid. And I will. I won't. I won't watch it again. There's no We're way. Gonna call Amazon and re- request our money back. That's <laughs> yeah. That like this movie is within the. Like that framework that I really like. I really like home invasion movies. So anything that falls into that. Okay. Oh, do you? Yeah, I like home invasion stuff too. It's just one of those things that. As far as they go. Yeah, this doesn't even hold a flame to not to harp on the French, but they've got a couple that are amazing. Like there's them, and then there's another one called, uh, what is it? Um, In Their Sleep. And that one, that one fucked me up straight up, fucked me up for days. We're going to write that one down. Yeah. It's hard to find. It's just, it's called in their sleep. Uh, It used to be on some streaming services. Now it's kind of a loss to the winds of time, but all right. So going on to our second feature of our double feature, we have drum roll, please. Scream from 1996. This is a very important film to me. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Scream, 1996. Steph, what's your history with this film? 
So I, we were, we were talking about this last night, Nick and I are the same age. So we were 10 when this movie came out and I know both of us probably saw it like right after it came out. And, uh, I remember cause that was like the age group where you're like, my parents didn't care what movies I watched, what, whatever they were. So I got on this kick of like, I'm going to watch all these scary movies. And that was one of the ones I watched and it scared the crap out of me as a kid. I don't know why. Cause I just, we, we just rewatched it and it's probably been at least 20 years since I've seen it. I, so it's been a long time. So this is a good refresher, but, um, it was, it, it hit a lot of, a lot of parts that I was very surprised that it held up. So especially for being that old. Um, I was seven when it came out and I also saw it and there's no way I would let Wyatt watch <laughs> this movie as an eight year old. I would not let my son watch this, but of the same era, parents didn't really seem to hell mom may have shown it to us. <laughs> yeah. That's how mine was. Yeah. I think we were, we were raised in a house. We were raised in a house where horror was like, that's why I am the way I am is our mother was a horror fan or is a horror fan. Rather, our grandmother was a horror fan. I remember going to our grandmother's house on weekends and stuff and literally just going to, I believe it was West Coast video and just piling up some of the most heinous horror films I have ever seen in my life. And just grandma being like, you want to get Chinese food? We're going to watch these and watching Henry portrait of a serial killer. And like all of these like yeah. horrific, horrific horror films. It just breaking my psyche like instantly, <laughs> probably at the age of like two. Yeah. It was later than that. But Shout that's what it felt like. Yeah. Uh, but Scream was not. Yeah. Shout out to Grandma Headley. Well, not to bring it down or anything, but like when she passed away, like I got her movie collection yeah. and she had some <laughs> fucked up movies in that collection. Always like, had court TV on. In there. <laughs> That's where my love of true crime came from. Your love of horror. Fantastic. But yeah, the thought that I watched this when I was seven is just mind boggling. And yes, it terrified me then. <laughs> I didn't watch it with grandma. I, we, I probably watched it with you the same time. Mom probably got it because I know mom was a fan of like Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that. This is Wes Craven. He is the creator of night, the original nightmare, nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that. So she probably was probably aware of that. They probably used that as some marketing and everything. But yeah, this was definitely one of the horror films that uh, I'd seen stuff prior to this. You know, like I'd, I'd seen like Silence of the Lambs and things like that. But this was the first new horror film that wasn't. It wasn't Friday the 13th and it wasn't, it was this new franchise and it came out and, uh, it definitely imprinted on me. Not that it's like my favorite horror film of all time or anything like that, but like when it comes to slashers, it's, it's damn near perfect in my opinion. Uh, that's, I'm not trying to say that it's like a 10 out of 10 or anything like that, but like as, as far as slashers are concerned and everything and for the time and when I saw it and everything i saw this movie a million times when i was a kid so this was also the first time that i'd seen it in a while i mean i did start watching it like uh a month ago maybe got like halfway through it i was watching it with uh sydney my daughter our daughter um who is actually named after sydney prescott uh so like when i'm saying that this movie like imprinted on me that was something that like you know, Sydney Prescott's my final girl and Sydney 
uh, is named after her. So it was definitely a big deal for me. But uh, yeah, so let's get into it a bit on Scream. I actually have some interesting notes for this one that really kind of will make you open your eyes at how much of a, not just a star-studded cast that this movie had, because everybody that you see in this movie were very early in their careers. Um, So it wasn't star-studded yet. Uh, It did have a few people in it that were kind of red herrings and stuff, like Drew Barrymore being in it and stuff like that, uh, and being prominently, prominently put on the poster no spoilers yet if you haven't seen this, but is interesting. And then Henry Winkler, uh, the Fonz being in this, uh, was actually, uh, he actually asked for his name to not be put in the movie because he didn't want to overshadow the young talent and stuff. And that's, he actually goes uncredited, I believe, in this movie. Like his name is not attached to it at all. And it's not because fuck this movie, I don't want anything to do with it. It's because he wanted, the, the the younger talent to shine which is extremely cool what's well, another reason to love him because i just yeah, adore him i know what a stand-up guy yeah but scream is an uh, a 1996 american slasher film directed by wes craven and written by kevin williams or williamson okay so little little backstory on these two guys uh wes craven horror royalty um films that he is no Films and franchises he is known for directing or writing and creating. So, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, The People Under the Stairs, The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, Red Eye, uh, The Serpent and the Rainbow. Like all of these, like hell, like just being just Scream alone is to is enough to make you like horror royalty. But then to be like, oh yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street as well, and oh yeah, The Hills Have Eyes. Like these are crazy like accolades for this guy to have. And then you have the writer of the film, Kevin Williamson. Get this, his notable works of writing. He wrote scream. He wrote, I know what you did last summer. Ah, uh, he makes wrote sense. Dawson. He wrote Dawson's Creek. Okay. They all fit. He wrote, he wrote the faculty. Ah, okay. There's another one. I don't know that one. And then he wrote the Vampire Diaries television series. Oh, he didn't write the book. <laughs> love that show. <laughs> so yeah, uh, he very prolific writer in like the the horror and teenage genre, like Dawson's Creek, and it was like that was that was the the kids version of like Friends or something like not friends because friends was comedy but like it was this like will they won't they show and you had like party of five and stuff yeah but like the faculty i know what you did last summer and scream all of those kind of fit in the same exact like lineup of horror type movies and they're all very i mean obviously the faculty if you guys haven't seen i'm not gonna say anything majorly about it but like it has a more of a supernatural element to it but you're definitely running in the same like kind of teenage feel and like just the the visuals and stuff it's i did not know that so i'm i'm like that makes sense because i like all of those movies and watching it as i'm older it seemed like 
I was thinking like the scream has like a Dawson's Creek, the breakfast club vibe <laughs> meets horror. So that's hilarious that he actually wrote. Dawson's yeah. Creek. Cool. yeah. When I was like doing research and stuff for that, I was like, Holy shit. Are you serious? Cause it was like, you know, like, you know, scream obviously. And then it's like, I know what you did last summer. I was like, uh, makes sense. And then Dawson's Creek. I'm like, hold the phone. <laughs> But yeah, and then when I saw Vampire Diaries, I was like, oh, Steph's going to love this. Yeah, I mean, he's brilliant if you wrote that, because that 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 series does not follow the books like it's supposed to. So he definitely took liberties with that. So yeah, I love that show. It's so good. <laughs> I was a huge Dawson Creek fan when I was younger. There, see? Were you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember yeah. summers of just binge watching mm-hmm. Dawson's Creek a- over summer break on Lifetime. I must have been high at the time or something. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. It, was, it was the time when you and I weren't friends. So. Oh, yeah. Like most of our childhood. Stop now. Hey. <laughs> Ouch. So a uh, little talk about Williams, because I, I believe that Wes Craven gets his flowers a lot. And he, he passed away, I believe it was in 2015. He was my first favorite horror director. So, but uh, Williams was a struggling writer at the time. And he was uh, inspired by the reports of a series of murders by the Gainesville Ripper uh, as he wrote the screenplay that satirized the cliches of the slasher genre popularized by such films as Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Developed under the title Scary Movie, Williams' script became the subject of an intense bidding war for multiple studios before Miramax purchased the rights despite turning despite turning down the opportunity multiple times craven agreed to direct the film after reading the script and being disappointed by the failure of his last movie vampire in brooklyn which uh stars eddie murphy as a vampire i remember that movie um i actually liked that when i was a kid but i am guaranteeing you that probably does not hold up anymore (laughs) it's not bad like I mean, it's no scream or nightmare on Elm Street, but I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> a vampire in Brooklyn, my lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so do you guys uh, think we should throw up the spoiler warning for our yep. our double feature to yeah. finish out the episode? Yep. Yes, sir. All right. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. All right. You've been warned. If you haven't seen Scream 1996, uh, why? Where have you been? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, unless you're a kid and it just has gone over your head. If you're our age, if you're a millennial, um, yeah, you've seen this movie. You better have. So better to have. If we watched it at seven and 10, there's no, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Pussy. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, all right. Spoiler warning. Here we go. So, uh, we get a cold open of Drew Barrymore. Big 90s star, star of a lot of, lot of stuff. I mean, prior to this, like she was in Firestarter when she was a little kid. She was in, I believe, in E.T. when she was a little kid. Like Hollywood royalty in a way. Uh, I'm hit or miss with her. I'm, you know, but at this time she was a big name. Like, so she's at home uh, making popcorn, going to watch some scary movies and stuff. Just kind of hanging out and we get our our initial phone call on the phone and it's a man that she does not know asking just kind of hey what are you up to kind of questions you know 
kind of trying to get to know her. Like, do you like, what are you up to? She's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, have some popcorn and eat, watch scary movies. Like, oh, you like scary movies? And this line has just kind of, it is the call sign for this movie. Like, uh, just like with the Saul movies, like, do you want to play a game? Like, that kind of stuff. Like, it's just, you know, so they start chit chatting a little bit and, she ends up hanging up on him because he starts getting a little too. I, the first time he hangs, she hangs up on him. I can't remember what the reasoning is. Is it that it's not the gut you like a fish part. Is it? No, that's like the third time. Yeah. <laughs> what? So why does, I think at this one, she's just like, okay, bye. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm done talking to you now. This is weird. Like, Oh yeah, because I think he's like I want to I I want to know who I'm looking at or whatever, and she's kind of weirded out and she's like, "All right, bye." Calls back, starts get, like, "Why'd you hang up on me?" You know, like all this kind of stuff starts getting a little more, a little more, and it just keeps escalating to the point where he's just like, "If you hang up this phone, I'll cut you like a fish." <laughs> Which that's when always starts. kills, always kills me every single time. Like he gets to that degree because he's just like, "Hey." what's going on but like his voice is a little down and everything just like oh that's interesting what oh (laughs) and then he just kind of like what "What did you say about my mother (laughs) you're hurting my pride yeah that's what this whole movie is generally about it's just a character or character whatever i'm not gonna say um (laughs) they they just their pride's just consistently hurt like that's oh the spoiler the I know, but I don't want to. Sh- I don't want to share everything yet. We're getting there, so. <laughs> so, um, in the first ten minutes of this film, you get an entire horror movie. You have Drew Bear. You have Drew Barrymore chilling at home, popcorn going. Calls on the phone. Calls on the phone. She even makes a line where, when she's talking about the horror films and stuff, she's like, "Oh yeah, I love horror films. My favorite." Because he asks, "Like, what's your favorite scary movie?" Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, probably uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. The first one. The other ones kind of suck. The first one's the only one that Wes Craven directed. Oh, uh, <laughs> nice. A little tip of the hat. And I guess I guess that uh, that was written in the script and everything, and he didn't want that. And Williams was like, no, seriously, that's what horror fans would say, because the first one is actually the only good one. Which, I mean, I don't agree with, but uh, three of them... I would say are like legit good and two of them Wes Craven directed. So, um, wait, say that again. So of the, I think there's like of the original films, I think there's like seven movies, maybe. Oh, wow. And of those, there are three good movies. Two of the good movies are Wes Craven movies. Correct. And in my opinion, it's the original one. And then Wes Craven's new nightmare, which Definitely has a lot of interesting ties to this movie because it has a lot of the meta, like being self-aware kind of stuff. Because in that movie, Freddy Krueger is actually in our world and he's terrorizing the actors and actresses of the original film. Oh, So it's it's probably my favorite, but it's also like probably the first one that I saw like on my own. But, uh, so she's, uh, kind of looking around and everything and he's brings up the fact that going to play a game with her because she says that, uh, she's got a big, 
football boyfriend that's going to come and kick your ass. And he says, his name wouldn't be Steve by chance, would it? <laughs> what? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah. And yeah, she's like, ooh, 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 what? <laughs> In her best butters impersonation. Uh, he's like, turn on the back porch lights. And you see Steve beat the fuck up, strapped to a chair, and Drew Barrymore is just completely beside herself and everything. Now, this is something I find kind of interesting is I was reading that Wes Craven uh, knew that Drew Barrymore is an avid animal rights activist and stuff like that. And she had just told him this story about this dog that was like, uh, horribly abused and I believe like caught on fire or something, but survived, I believe. But like when she was telling the story, she started to cry. So he used that to his advantage. And anytime he needed her to cry in a scene, he would just kind of quote part of that story that she told him and she would instantly just start sobbing. Oh my wow. gosh. <laughs> well, the best good direction, but a terrible way. Exactly. <laughs> well, my favorite part of the scene though, is when like Steve's tied up out back. And she's standing at the door looking at it. She goes to go help him. And the guy on the phone's like, don't do that. And like, that's where like the, the comedy comes into play is like, you're running into that, like your stereotypical uh, slasher film play out. And I just, I just thought that was hilarious. I loved it so much. Yeah, they do a lot with this that kind of, it, it plays into a lot of the tropes, but then it also bucks a lot of them uh, specifically my Part of part of the reason I do love this movie is watching Ghostface get the ever living shit beat out of him all the time. All the time, yeah, <laughs> makes makes me laugh every time. Yep, beer beer bottle of the face. Uh, I'm your Huckleberry. It's good. Yep, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, he starts saying, "All right, you know, like uh, we'll play we'll play a game, and if you uh, win." Uh, you're free to go. So we're going to do a practice round. Ask her, ask her a question about Halloween. She answers it correctly. He's like, okay, now onto the real game. And she fucks up because it's not a trick question, but it, if you know the Friday, the 13th movies, you think it's Jason is always the killer, but the original one is, is his mother, uh, gets her. So Steve's not making it onto the next round. And we finally get, Nick gets what he wants. Yep. Finally, we get a man gutted. Steve uh, got spilled out into his lap. This movie was actually about to get an NC-17 rating for some of the gore in this movie, which is super funny considering how movies went in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh Like Hostel was only like 10 years from this. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... Yeah, this scene was supposed to be a lot longer. There was supposed to be a lot like you were supposed to actually see the entrails fall out of him and stuff like that, I guess. So uh, I would have been like, yeah, Steve, do it. Yep. Do the gut <laughs> stuff. But again, I'll take what I can get. I can take these scraps. It's cool. Uh, so we, we see that happen. The next question is then, uh, you know, what door am I at? And she's what and we get we get chair through the window i believe and we're off to the races she's running around you get like the almost like psycho theme kind of mixed in there a little bit where it's like like all that kind of stuff she's running around oh no she forgot the popcorn's on house starting to fill with smoke 
and she gets out of the house. Yeah, pure chaos. And this is all like within the first like ten minutes or so of the movie, ten, fifteen minutes. Yep. Um, she's kind of hanging out. She looks in the house, she sees ghost face kind of looking around the house and everything. Now she's something that I find peculiar, she's holding the phone right there the whole time. Uh I didn't think of it the first time or the first hundred times that I watched this movie, but I'm like, why isn't he just calling that phone to find her? Because it's going to ring. And if she's holding it, like, it'll just be like a beacon or whatever. But it was, and I it was on the whole time. Oh, was it? Yeah, because then we go in and she's standing yeah. there. Then he finds her and like he tackles her to the ground and we have this fight ensue basically. And uh when her parents come home because they're the car that's driving up the alley yeah. and her the smoke's filling the house and they're trying to find her because the house is in shambles and all of this stuff and she's outside dying literally and her mom picks up the phone to call her to figure out and she's on the line like breathing heavily and like yeah. screaming and like can you imagine though like that actually teared me up last night because i'm a mom now and i'm like Oh my god, that would be so horrible to have to hear your child dying on the freaking phone. Like that's horrible. Yeah. That is a heartbreaking scene like when he's like he stabs her and he like kind of kick she kind of kicks him a bit and he just starts to strangle her. So it sets up the fact that like her voice box is kind of fucked up because he's trying to strangle her. So she sees her parents walking in the house and she goes to yell and it's just like crackly like mom. Yep. And yeah. like that is so heartbreaking to me because i'm like oh no so close yep yeah because i'm a i'm a mom too and <laughs> it just really it really gets me yeah but but yeah then he just starts going to town stabbing her and everything uh the husband tells the wife to you know go to the neighbor's house you know we're gonna find out what's happening she walks out the door and there's drew barrymore strung up in a tree hanging stabbed dead you know horrible booms yep scream and like i don't remember the title looking that horrible <laughs> like it it just looks like bad typeface like it's a scream it's like oh okay i don't remember i remember the title that you see on the posters i don't yeah. remember that yeah but then and now we're then enters go ahead honey oh uh then enters sydney prescott yep it's like, well, we're just going to throw you in for a loop. And now we're just going to keep you on this exact same trajectory the entire movie. Yeah. And now it's another common thing of, oh, my dad's leaving. Yep. That type of thing. Yep. It almost seems like two separate movies when they, when it jumps to that right away. You don't really know if they're connected, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely like it. The cold opening in this film is unmatched in a way like it. A lot of films like copied it and stuff after and everything, but it is perfect in the sense of setting you up for like, all right, here we go. Mm -hmm. This is the movie. Yeah. Um, Sydney Prescott is played by Nev Campbell. Um, it's interesting. I've got like a lot of different people that they had for like they wanted for different roles and stuff. And uh, one of them that turned this role down was Reese Witherspoon. Okay. She would have played. She was going to play Sydney Prescott, mm -mm. and mm -hmm. another one that I've got here, uh, being a favorite of screenwriter Kevin Williams, Molly Ringwald from The Breakfast Club was offered the role of Sydney Prescott, but turned it down, saying she'd rather not be playing high school students at the age of twenty-seven. That's fair. 
that's fair. So yeah, we uh, see her and uh, Billy Loomis comes busting through the window, uh, played by Skeet Ulrich, who was also uh, this role was turned down by turned down by a young uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Okay, their resemblance is. I think they look a lot alike. At least in my memory, I see. I that. really like Steph's. Uh, wording of okay. Skeet Ulrich as Billy Loomis okay. in this. Okay, so if you think about the time that this movie is like the 96s, right? So, he is the wish version of Johnny Depp. Like, hands down, he has like the hair and like that vibe and everything that Johnny Depp does during that time, and he just doesn't quite make it. <laughs> well, what's really funny about that is this scene is very reminiscent of Johnny Depp's scene in the opening of Nightmare on Elm Street, directed by Wes Craven, where he sneaks into his girlfriend's bedroom in that film. So he, they should have just asked Johnny Depp to play this role because I think I probably would have liked it more, but it's fine. (laughs) Could you imagine, could you imagine if Johnny Depp played him in this film? Like I, I think it would have like the aging might have been a little off. I think he would have looked a little old for the role and whatnot, but could you imagine him in this role, the way it goes? Like, it, I think it would have been fucking I can see it. Yeah. Badass. Yeah. Well, I think this was like the time that like, did he make sleepy hollow around this time? And like, uh, I don't know. I'd have to look and see what his filmography is at that time. Let me look or Tasha can look, but yeah. Um, Billy, says it like some of the weird like he has some of the weirdest dialogue in this because he's always bringing up horror films which i understand i do that too but not in these ways he's he's like the exorcist was on and got me thinking about you yeah which i'm like what like i understand the way they go about it in this conversation because he's talking about things being cut out for tv and he's trying to get in her pants and all this stuff and like we used to be hot and heavy and all this stuff but like it's it's so fucking weird be like so I saw this child throwing up pea soup and it got me thinking about your butt. <laughs> anyway, Sleepy Hollow came out in 99. So it was around that time. But he was also doing uh, Fear and Loathing. Um, Fear and Loathing's awesome. The Ninth Gate came out in, around that time. So he was busy. He was busy doing some big stuff. So, so they're doing their whole thing up in the bedroom and everything. Dad comes in. He's like, I thought I heard a scream. Uh, basically gives a little expositional dialogue of that. I'm leaving and I'll be going like out of town and I'll, if you need me, I'll be at this hotel and yada, yada, yada and everything. And then uh, they kind of talk a little bit more. She shows her boobs, but we don't get to see so them. Stupid. Yeah. It's like, would you? go for a PG 13 relationship. And I always think that I don't know what movie it is that makes me think this, but I always think that when he sees her tits that he like, is like, and falls out of the window (laughs) and it doesn't happen. I don't, I I think I've seen scary movie once. I don't know if it happens in that or something, but like, that's what I expected. And then it didn't happen. I was like, Oh, well, I guess I didn't direct this film. (laughs) So then we uh, we cut to the next day. We're at the high school and there's police around and uh, in walks Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers. I don't remember um, her being that horrible until this movie. And then 
my gosh like she's uh, like in friends at this point like friends is like a pretty popular show playing and i remember like watching the show and being like oh i really like her is monica on the show and then i was re-watching it now and i'm like she's kind of an asshole in this show like way more than i anticipated she specifically won in this role because she wanted to play a bitch. Oh, yeah. No joke. That's like awesome. she was like, she was like, uh, I play such a likable character of Monica in Friends. And that that right there was the reasoning that they almost didn't give it to her because she was too likable. No, she was like, no, I just I want to play a ruthless bitch. But she's not likable in Friends, technically, because she's like the like the crazy lady. Super type A. Yeah, exactly. So people find her obnoxious. So she's kind of a different version of obnoxious in this one. It it was interesting. Like, I didn't expect that. She is straight up like what you think of like dirt sheet, like tabloid writer. Yeah. Like straight up chasing, chasing the ambulance kind of character. But uh, you see her and then Rose McGowan shows up. I did not write her name down. It's like Tatum, I think. Yep. Um, Tatum. And she's talking to uh, talking to Sydney and kind of references like this is the craziest thing that's happened. And since that uh, old crime, like just kind of references a little bit, but doesn't want to talk too much. So you're kind of like, there must be more going on than uh we're being uh informed of and we get to meet uh at this point sydney gets taken into the office to just kind of have some questioning and stuff and we see the fawns in all of his glory uh and deputy uh i don't have his last name i don't give a shit i call him deputy dewey all the time dewey dewey uh who i i love him in this movie uh it's Arquette of some sort. I can't remember his first name. Yeah, it's David uh, Arquette. His real name is David, David Arquette. Arquette. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's David Arquette. But uh I love him in this movie. Like even when like he has like these missteps of like the dialogue doesn't really work out perfectly. It's just I love him in this movie. He's such uh, an he, endearing character. I was going to say the he, same thing. Yes. So Agreed. He 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 read for the roles of Billy Loomis and Stu before getting this so like no only um i can only imagine no do i couldn't see him as do no (laughs) well we'll get to it when Stu shows up but there's kind of an interesting story of like how that kind of worked out but uh so yeah get some questioning and stuff and at this time they're starting to set up the whodunit with like some eye looks and stuff because um oh my god why am i forgetting his name his name's not actually the Fonz. It's Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler is like weirdly kind of touchy when talking to Sydney and stuff. Like kind of like caresses her chin. It's like, now would that be okay? Like they're just gonna ask you some questions. And the sheriff kind of gives them some like weird side eye and stuff. So you're kind of set up in a way like this this motherfucker, the one out here dicing up people, which I would have loved Ghostface just like riding in on a motorcycle in a leather jacket. Well, he also is like all of his actions, like even when he's on the speaker for the school and everything, it's over like overplayed, like it's highly intense. So you're kind of like, is he overcompensating? What's going on? Like, is he just one of those people who just cares? He just cares. Kind of like he does in the water boy. He just cares. Mm-hmm. Like, 
So I don't know. And uh, after the scene, we cut to uh, basically our main cast uh, sitting by the uh, the fountain, I believe, just kind of hanging out, having lunch. This is when we are introduced. We we see Billy, we see uh, Sydney, we see Tatum, and we are now introduced to Stu, who is played by Matthew Lillard, who is Tatum's uh, boyfriend. And we meet Randy, who's played by Jamie Kennedy. All of these people, I, I feel bad for Skeet Ulrich because every single person in their roles besides him at this point kill it they are so memorable and skeet ulrich plays a i mean i I guess if you're playing a sociopath like kind of person that very detached and everything i guess he's doing a good job but like jamie kennedy as randy like calls him out so many times so like you're telling me that guy's not a killer like he plays it like that and yeah can we talk about how how like dead on the archetypes are in this movie too because at this point we're starting to feel how self-aware everyone is about the role of horror movies and that's my favorite part of this movie is that undertone going across the whole thing Mm -hmm. i really like how it's so spelled out like this is one where it's all spelled out to you but you expect that in a scream movie so for me that was that was perfect it was perfectly done Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I don't feel any of the films after this one even come close to holding a candle to this because they are walking down the path that this one has already laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like uh, our daughter, Sydney, really like five is her favorite. That's her scream. Yeah. Uh, Steph, I believe you said you remember the second one being like your favorite, like growing up and stuff. I think so. But I actually kind of want to go back and watch it just to see, because like, if I remember like this movie kind of just gives you a taste and then you kind of build more on the plot that ends in this movie and builds it into the next one with like uh, the cotton weary concept. Yeah, because uh, the end of the screenplay, when it, uh, when Williamson wrote it, there was a seven page uh like a den like added part at the very end which was the overview for the second film so it was already planned out uh from the the word go and when this movie when this movie did the uh the mad business that it did uh they obviously greenlit a sequel so uh we didn't really talk about that in the beginning of this but i have it here yeah what was the budget of this film it made $173 million. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's a the lot. Second. A, bu- a budget of $15 million with a uh, box office of $173 million. That's insane. This came out five, and it came out five days before Christmas. So you would have been 11. I would have been 10. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I still would have been seven. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Interestingly enough, number two, the sequel grossed 172 million. Yeah. Which to me, I think is really shocking being a sequel and still doing just as well. That's true. There's a, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's usually like it either like grows exponentially because of like the VHS market at the time, and then everybody has to go see the second one, or it just bombs. But the fact that it's like almost equal 
is very interesting. And this is, we're talking the millions of dollars it made during the nineties. We're not talking now, like the, just the amount of money that is now is just, is crazy. I mean, obviously movies didn't come out like nowadays either because we don't have, we didn't have streaming back then, but um, I'm kind of impressed. That's pretty awesome. It basically reinvigorated uh, Hollywood's interest in horror films because from this point on, when this film came out, is when everybody wanted a Williamson script. You know, that's where you get the faculty. That's where you get, you know, I know what you did last summer, all that stuff. And then everybody, you get urban legends. You get like all these movies, boom, 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 coming out that just, we need a group of teenagers and we need an iconic killer. But anyway, so. Uh, this is when they're talking about the killing and all that stuff, uh, at the, the like lunchtime kind of at the fountain. And it's at this time that if you've seen the movie before, you're able to actually just go like, ah, I'm seeing behind the curtain a little bit because there's certain things being said and you're seeing the interactions between Billy and Stu kind of showing their cards a little bit like shut up. Why would you do that? And giving knowing looks and stuff. You'd never seen this movie though. It completely goes over your head. True. Like it's just, it's so expertly done how they piece this stuff together. Um, oh my goodness. Tasha, you could have just said that. I felt like the time had passed, but I oh, still no. wanted you guys to know it's 334. That can't be right. You've got too many zeros. 334,500,853 in today's, in today's money. money. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's that's, that's good. So, yeah. But, uh, so it, it kind of moves on. Uh, Sydney, it cuts to Sydney's house, which uh, for the longest time was my dream house. That back porch is amazing. And this is supposed to be set in Ohio. That's where, uh, all of us are from and everything so this obviously has to be southern ohio because we don't have that shit around us nope (laughs) and uh we get a news broadcast about uh marie prescott one year ago raped and murdered and like pretty tasteless like how they're talking it's like almost just like a year ago today blah 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 this woman dropped the name like it's so strange like raped and savagely murdered like it's the news sources down here are very bad (laughs) but i think that goes along with the times like you have 24-hour news cycles and court tv and all of that stuff is taken off so it's like that that um what is it like blood cells or something like that yeah so make it make it as like jarring as possible and then you know that people are going to listen to it yep they really play into that and then I must have really been into the movie because my notes jump forward a little bit. I'm sure some other stuff happens at this point uh, because isn't this when, yeah, this is when Sid gets her first phone call. Yes. Yeah. She, yeah. She's like hanging out, waiting for her friend to come pick her up because she's going to stay the night there because her dad's gone. He's supposed to be staying in this Hilton out of town for the weekend and she gets her phone call and then it kind of just plays out similarly like the other one did with drew barrymore's character with you know all of that but she which i didn't realize this when i 
was younger, obviously, is that she handles this more like a badass than any of them. Like she's just very uh, aware of like the play out of this. So she's not backing down. Like her, her character is very strong in this movie and it just, you know, he comes out and he's trying to beat, he, you know, breaks into her house and there's all the fighting that ensues and she's just giving as good as she gets. And I'm laughing as I'm watching this because Ghostface gets his ass kicked like, <laughs> <laughs> like multiple times. And then we kind of cut, which this was brilliant. We were talking about this. So in the beginning of the movie, when her dad comes in, when the boyfriend's breaking into the bedroom or coming into her window, her closet door and her bedroom door, when they're together, the door, her front, her door to her bedroom cannot open. So when Ghostface is chasing her through the house, she goes into her bedroom and the same thing happens. So he can't get to her. And I thought that was brilliant because they set it up in a way that it just made sense. And that's kind of where we're at. Well, then boyfriend shows up randomly with a cell phone or something and she thinks it's him. And uh, then the cops show up and all this stuff happens and yeah we got dewey with the mask out front yeah. Like, ah! yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then dewey ends up being like this nice guy and like he's gonna take her and he happens to be the brother to her best friend so his character is just he really is endearing it's like he's just so dumb kind of but like yeah. in this very sweet like kind backwoods weird way he just he's wants to gold. be taken seriously. Yeah. He's a, he's golden, a golden retriever. retriever. Yeah, he totally yes. is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, like, because he even talks about, like, you know, that nobody takes him seriously and stuff like that. Because he's like 25 or 26, because he was 25 for a whole year. Yep. He mentions when he's talking to Gail Weathers. But yeah, like, he's a young cop. He's a deputy, though. So, I mean, like, he's not just a beat cop. He must be pretty good at his job somewhat. I mean, uh, but yeah, these are the worst cops ever, though, at the same time. They are. Like the just the handling of evidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fingerprints so on everything. Funny. Oh my god. Pick up the mask. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then they go to the jail and Billy gets taken in for questioning. And I think it's his lawyer that's sitting there with him talking to like the whatever the main guy is there. And it's his dad. Is it his dad? Yeah. Okay. I looked it up. Okay. Cause that doesn't it's not very clear, I guess, when you're kind of watching it. But what's messed up is like there's a clear line of sight from Sydney where she's giving her statement to the supposed bad guy. Like nobody does that. Like that's not a thing. Like you don't have the victim sitting there with the guy that assaulted her, like as a possibility. Like that's just that's not a thing. Oh, and Billy Loomis is giving the smolder look non stop. Yeah. Like just like keeps like looking over his shoulder, pouting. Like it is <laughs> so egregious. Yep. The the wish version of Johnny Depp kind. Yes. yes. He yeah. he wishes he were Johnny Depp. Yes. But maybe that's what he's thinking about when he's sending that to her. Yeah. When he's looking at her. Yeah. But like even to this point, it's like if they've got the mask and they've got this and the shit's getting beat out of him and all this stuff, it's like you can run DNA. You could run, like there's gotta be fingerprints on something here. Like none of that. None of that's it doesn't matter. Nope. <laughs> but uh at this point, I believe it cuts back to the school and the the news anchors and stuff are going wild and everything and a, a lady legitimately just yells out to sydney how does it feel to almost be brutally butchered 
One of the reporters says that, or just yes. some yes. random. <laughs> just, just, that's that's how and I'm going to get her to talk to me. Stick the microphone in my face. <laughs> well, isn't this the same time that she's walking out, and Gail just happens to be there too, and then she, yep. she like decks her in the face, and it's just yeah. so good. And then instead of being hauled off for like assault, Dewey just takes her home and gives her some ice for her fist. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Gail starts asking her questions about like. Uh, putting uh, an innocent man away for j- to jail for life, and he's on death row because Sidney Prescott has is like her testimony at her mother's murder trial is the reason Cotton Weary got put away, and you're told that uh, she has wrote a book with Cotton Weary about how he's innocent and all this stuff, and she starts kind of putting things together like oh. Oh, these things are connected, aren't they? This is still going on. This is the same thing. You put like basically just being like, you fucked up, Sydney. You sent a, a guy to prison to death row and all this stuff. And that's when she fucking just splits her open. And yeah. But Sydney's like, mind you, her mom was murdered ex- almost exactly a year before this in like the town, like dropped in the town square or whatever they mentioned. But she's a teenager. Like we need to not forget that because this lady who's a, journalist is treating her like she's some adult like she has to answer for something i don't know a single teenager that's going to be like yeah i know all the facts and i know everything and i can think logically when my mother was brutally murdered like it's so strange that she has like this expectation that sydney's supposed to be i you know all knowing or something yeah uh they're at the school and everything we've got a prank of uh some kids running down the hallway with ghost face masks on Stu's Stu's laughing, loving it and everything, but Sydney clearly is not because she was almost, and I quote, almost brutally butchered uh, <laughs> just last night. But uh, yeah, the, the we cut to the Fonz with the kids in his office being extremely sinister um, with a pair of scissors. Uh, expelling these two for doing this because their classmates were murdered and all this stuff. So uh, around this time, also Sydney runs into Billy and Billy's kind of like, you know, like I just got out of jail. You know, they took my prints, all this stuff. Like you still think I'm the killer, don't you? Which he keeps just, just gaslight all day long. Just like, what, what? like brooding face pouty face what and then he makes it about them not having sex with each other which i was just like are you flipping kidding me right now your girlfriend doesn't want to do you and you're brooding over that too it's a it's a very serious topic she needs to get over the fact that her mother was raped and murdered (laughs) but not him um and then uh she needs to like let him put it in stat yep you know He's, on, he's basically- not happy that he's not happy that uh, her mom's murder changed her. Yeah, I think that was yes. said at some point. Yeah. Yep. You, my mom left. You just need to get over it. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. he clearly has not gotten over. It's literally the motivation <laughs> of him in this movie. <laughs> to all of the young women in the world, guys will say anything to get in your pants, and Billy Loomis is a prime <laughs> example of it. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, he's a shitbag, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) 
so uh, Sid goes into the bathroom and she gets to hear uh, these girls spitting all this vitriol and stuff. Just, you know, like it's probably Sid. She probably lost her mind and, you know, all this stuff. Uh, turns out, I'm not sure which one it is, but I did read that one of these girls is played by Ski Aldrich's Ski Ulrich's girlfriend at the time. So I wonder if she had like some beef with uh, Nev Campbell and was just like, oh no, hold my beer. I got this. Now's my chance. (laughs) And it's like all ad libbed or something. (laughs) She's just fucking going ham on her. And they are just fucking horrible. Mm -hmm. I had to ask Steph, I was like, is this what it was like in high school for girls? Like, is this how nasty your bathrooms were? Because these are some fucking rank bathrooms. Yeah, not mine. Not mine either. Look, it literally looked like there was like puke around the base of these toilets and stuff, and just toilet paper everywhere. But uh, uh, we then see like Sydney's like done in the bathroom, washing her hands, and you hear her name get whispered, uh, which I don't remember hearing that. I didn't either initially. I, yeah, I didn't but hear yeah, that. You, you just hear. You didn't. Uh-uh. Yeah, you just hear Sid. You just hear Sydney, and she's kind of looking around. And then you see the feet come out, and the the ghost face uh, dress, smock, whatever you want to call it, come out. And we get another scene of Sydney Prescott just beating the ever living shit out of that ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I could just watch a super cut of that all day long. Yep. And because of this, the Fonz decides that school is canceled for the foreseeable future. Uh, of course, the kids are like, party at Stu's house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, I mean, uh, the party that gets put on at this house gives me flashbacks of being in high school in Ohio, being underage and going and partying and stuff. Like, it wasn't at these houses and stuff, but the feel of it. Yeah. reminds me of that like i was like so screen comes out in 96 i was doing this like four or five years later and it still had the same feel so i think they did a really good job of that um this scene though this uh the whole party scene like the final party scene and everything mm-hmm. uh i guess took 21 days i believe it is to shoot it was super 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 long and when they were done with it they uh, the all the cast got shirts that said I survived scene 118 because that was the final scene and it took so long to do uh, that some of them said it was the uh, it in itself was a horror film to shoot. Wow. Yeah, that scene took just as long as all of Oculus took, to- <laughs> <laughs> took three weeks to make Oculus. Oh my gosh. To make that one scene. Yeah. Damn. Man. Yeah, and so but go back with the Henry Winkler at the school. That's that's such a good part. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, So we're at the school, and Henry has basically closed everything down. He's the principal, and he goes out and he's looking around because he he, does he hear something or something like that. And uh, you don't know much about this character other than he's just the principal. And Nick pointed this out to me yesterday, which I did not know this. So he goes outside. And there's a janitor in the hallway that's dressed like Freddy Krueger. And on the hallway, and there's this janitor who's dressed like Freddy Krueger, and his name is Fred. And Nick said that that's actually Wes Craven. Oh, really? I did not know that. Does yes. he do that? Does he make appearances like Stan Lee does? 
not not as much as that i i know of but i remember seeing that when i was a kid and making the connection that fred and he's got the striped uh sweater he has even has the hat and everything and it wasn't until later that i found out it was Wes craven but yeah like it's straight up because he's just like what the hell did you say to me because he like the fonz comes out excuse me the fonz comes out and he's just like little shits and that's when you see him and he's just like what'd you say to me he's like oh nothing fred i was just like fuck yeah yeah, it was cute. Yeah, I noticed the Freddy Krueger, but I never would have yeah. guessed that that was him. That's and then cool. poor Mr. Principal goes back into his office, and and then there's no more Mr. Principal. So, yeah, the Fonz, the Fonz jumps his last shark, and gets yeah, got sad. by Ghostface. We then cut to Randy and Stu in the movie store, which is probably one of my favorite like character scenes in this film of like just back and forth and it's basically randy uh played by jamie kennedy who works at the store talking to Stu, played by matthew lillard about like you know uh if he's got a chance with sydney and the billy's there like kind of looks like maybe flirting with some girls and stuff and keeps talking about how he thinks he's like you know like he's got you telling me that guy's not a serial killer? Like, you, there's just like all these things that are adding up and everything. I can't believe he's standing in the horror section. That's <laughs> yeah. my favorite part. Yeah. You, can you believe the day after your girlfriend is almost brutally butchered, he's just standing there in the horror section? He has no tact. What a monster. But then, then Stu brings up the fact he's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're the killer. And, and like, rightfully so, Randy's like, you know what? I, I, you know, yeah, it makes sense that it'd be me. Like, I'm the horror like freak. Like, he loves horror films and all this stuff. He's always quoting these things. It makes sense. And like, Billy kind of shows up behind him, and just it's it's. I don't know how when I watched this the first time, I did not make these connections that like Billy and Stu are working as a team because there's so many times where they're teaming up on people just doing this like. Yeah, like, like watch what you're fucking doing, kind of stuff, and it's just, I just it's love because this scene. you. It's because you were ten. Hey, <laughs> we have to remember that <laughs> we were children. I, I was advanced for my age. <laughs> but then uh, we find out uh, from the, I believe it's the police chief, the sheriff, uh, that. Neil Prescott's phone is the one that these phone calls that were coming to the houses and stuff are coming from. So Sydney's dad's phone is making the calls. Uh, and it's at this time that we kind of realized that Dewey's a moron and uh, Gail is a manipulative bitch is what I have written in here because uh, Dewey's just walking around eating ice cream. And I cone. think like the ice cream cone just adds to his sweetness and like he just wants to be liked. So apparently he can only be liked by his child, by his younger sister's friend. Basically, Dewey invites her to come like out with him, right? To a teenage party. Oh, yeah. That's just weird in itself. Like a cop's hanging out with a bunch of drunken teenagers at a party just to be cool and accepted. And then you've got this like journalist hanging yeah, around he with pulls them. the beer from my kid. He's like, Hey, aren't you too young for that? And just hands it back. He's like, have a good time. Just 
be responsible. I'm just like, this dude's he was getting thrown off the fucking force. But at the <laughs> Yep. Cause his sister doesn't even like him. She like emasculates him. Like she's just so not nice to him. And so I feel bad for him because he just he gets the shaft from everybody and everybody takes advantage of him. Yeah, and it's at this time that Gail Weathers, a, a career woman, is <laughs> just like walking around just like, yeah, yeah, I'm Gail Weathers. Yeah, I'm Gail Weathers, bitch. And plants a camera in the living room to which we then find out that there's like about a 30 second delay to the uh, news truck that it's piping to. Um, And during this time is when we get the iconic scene of Randy ex- like they're watching uh i believe it's it might be terror train uh it's definitely a jamie lee curtis film so she was in halloween terror train prom night like all of these movies like year after year after year it's the reason she's like the original scream queen but the other people don't understand and he's like you don't understand you don't know the rules of horror films and he breaks it down halloween so rule number one no sex if you have sex you will die Rule number two, no drinking or drugs. If you do these things, you will die. And rule number three, if you're going somewhere, never, ever say, I'll be right back. And uh, Stu just killing it. Killing it as always. Like, hey, I'm going to get a beer, Randy. You want one? He's like, yeah. He's like, okay, I'll be right back. It goes out the door. And everyone's like, oh. And I just... All these years later, still kills me. We're like 17 years out now, I think. Maybe longer. Oh, oh definitely longer. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's been it's been <laughs> two decades. 26 years. It's been two decades since I've seen this movie. So this movie is uh, almost a flat circle. This movie is almost 30 years old. You're almost 30 years old. <laughs> That's a great compliment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Dewey, Dewey's going to uh, investigate that he'd heard that there's a car in the bushes and Gail goes and follows in tandem. They talk a bit and they find um, Neil Prescott's car is has been ditched in the bushes after being run off the road by some drunk kids that are leaving uh, the party because they heard that their principal has been murdered and strung up from the goalposts and they want to see him before they take it down. But two of uh, those guys were the two kids that got expelled during the, the, uh, in the office. Cause I noticed that two of the, those two guys were at the party. Okay. I didn't notice that. Yeah. The guys that left the party to go see him were the guys that got expelled. Yes. Two of the guys were. Yeah. So, um, let's see here. Uh, it's at this time that Billy finally gets his way and, uh, they're talking. Billy and, and, uh, Sydney are talking and you're, you're skipping a pivotal oh, part, God. honey. You're I'm missing, sorry. like you're missing, you're missing the, you're, gr- missing, you're, the, you're missing the garage the scene. Did I miss that? I've got it. Yeah. Re- oh, I think I have it written out of order. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tatum and in, in okay. full hard nipple glory walks out into the garage. <laughs> Go for it. So, Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't remember all of it i might be saying it out of but my the the biggest part to me is just the the unapologetically hard nipples yep. where she like that like she's playing that architect beautifully yep walking out there's no need for it <laughs> but anyway, so 
And so she walks out. And honestly, it's the only part I remember because at this point I <laughs> fell asleep. Oh no. <laughs> History reminds me of how she met her demise, she, but I, she grabs uh, beers from the refrigerator that's in the garage and the garage door she tries to open then it goes back closed and there's a doggy door in it and it's being really strange and so she goes over and she's like eh. and she goes over and grabs the beers and she turns around and there's ghost face standing on the step and she thinks it's just somebody fucking around and she's just playing into that like kind of dumb concept or like she just thinks it's a prank and it's not a prank and so when he starts to advance on her and cause problems she's chucking the beer bottles at him so she's given as good as she's getting basically in the beginning and he, he i think at one point if i remember correctly one of those beer bottles breaks right on his oh, genitals yeah. and and like i was like you go girlfriend and then um i want to say she breaks another one over his head or his face she or something one it smashes in his face another one into the crotch he goes to stab her and like trips over and flips back onto the stairs that's and it. That's yep. when she's getting ready to make her escape. Yes. And so she goes to go through the doggy door because she can't get out. And of course, then he pushes the button and goodbye. One of the most imaginative it, yeah. kills. And it is the most imaginative kill in this movie. But like just in general, like uh, I don't care if it looks a little corny Imagine when her face it. gets smashed up in the thing because it kind of looks like it looks like yeah, rubber, it looks like a mask kind of getting crushed in. But like just the overall like her getting drug up in the, the door and everything i love that scene like it's in my opinion my yeah. favorite kill in this film because you don't see a lot of like imaginative kills in this movie really you just get like stabbed oh stab again that's well other than at the end yeah the end is completely different yeah but like everything yeah. building up to this like but uh Let's see here what we got. So yeah, then sorry, then jumping back, they have sex and everything. And kind of in her post-sex clarity, uh, Sydney's asking Billy some questions like, So when you were in jail, like who'd you use your call for? And he's like, uh, I called my dad. It's like, no, like I saw the sheriff do that. And it's like, Yeah, when I called, he didn't answer. And it's just like, Oh, you slimy motherfucker. Like it just like keeps building up. And still at this point, like I was like, I don't know. It could be, I don't know. He seems right, but they're, I'm always that guy. It's like, they're making this obvious. They obviously have to be doing something mm -hmm. else. Um, and it's at this point, like he's kind of explaining himself that Ghostface comes in and yeah. kills him, uh, yep. stabs him a few times and everything. He turns around, kind of reaches out to Sydney, falls down on the bed. Sydney goes to escape, I believe, uh, out the window and, this is when uh, this has to be the tightest uh, boat tarp ever because she falls out this window into the boat. And if that thing's not tight enough, that girl is snapping her spine on those seats. Like, I don't know how like we're supposed to believe that, but whatever. So she gets out. Uh, I believe it's at this time when she's running. She this is when she sees Tatum caught up in the door, I believe somewhere around that time. No, that's towards the end. But yeah, that's further down. Yeah, she's running through like the fields and doing all that stuff. And uh, she talks to the guy at the where they realize the delay is going on because the ghost face is in the living room, like with his knife as 
Jamie Kennedy's character is sitting there watching his horror movie, like saying uh, something about look behind, look behind you. you, Jamie. Yeah. Cause he keeps, it's funny cause his name's Jamie Kennedy and he's talking about Jamie Lee Curtis. And I think he just keeps going like, look behind you, Jamie, as Ghostface is behind him about to kill him. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's at this time though, that she, they see this in the truck happening but a sound happens that makes Ghostface leave. There's the 30 second delay. So when they come to step out of the truck, Ghostface kills the camera guy. Slices his throat open. It's pretty bloody. It's pretty good. Yeah. And then she climbs through the truck and he chases after her. And that's when she goes on her little run through the outside outdoors area. Yep. She starts running up to the house then. And you see Deputy Dewey uh, coming out and kind of like staggered like, Sid, Sid, and he kind of braces up against the wall and you see a knife protruding out of his back yep. at this time. And I got Dewey Dunbin stabbed <laughs> in my notes. Yeah. And then the culmination of the rest of this movie is like brilliantly written because, you know, he comes in and I can't remember all the, the ins and outs of it, but uh, he's the, the supposedly dead boyfriend is coming down the stairs. And he, yeah, Billy comes falling down the stairs and she gives him the gun that she has or the knife that she has one of the two. I can't remember what she has. And the gun. is it a gun? And then magically he's not dead and it's got, he's got corn syrup on him. Well, I've got the paranoia reaches a fever pitch because Stu and Randy both come flying up at the door and they're both uh, accusing oh, each other of being the killer. Yep. And Sid is not having it and she locks them out and they're just screaming outside yeah. the door. Like, it's him. It's him. Yeah. And it's just like, it's this peak. And that's when Billy kind of falls down the stairs. She starts taking care of him. And that's when Billy shows like, haha, it's me. Um, oh, I believe. Let's see here. Um, gives him the gun, opens the door and shoots Randy. So Randy's dead. Or so we believe. Um, and then that's when we find out that uh, in a huge twist, as it were, uh, we're not dealing with one killer. We're dealing with two. Uh, Stu and Billy show their show their cards that they have been the ones perpetrating all of this. And uh, Stu just has some amazing lines through this entire thing. He's like, watch a few movies, take a few notes. It was fun. Like, just like all sorts of like a cartoon character almost. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And the fact that he got cast because this is what I was going to mention earlier. He's my favorite character in this movie. He got cast because he was with like a friend of his or a girlfriend of his that was trying out for a movie. And um, the the casting director for this movie saw him and was like, Hey, would you like to try and read for this? You kind of look the part and everything and his energy and everything. And a lot of like, I guess he ad libbed a lot of things because Williamson said that this character was like horribly underwritten. And so uh, Matthew Lillard, like really is the reason for this character being the stew that we all sadly know and love. Yeah, he's an awesome character. Like he, his comedic role in this is just perfection. It's awesome. So they then explain, you know, like, well, this happened, like, got to kill all these people. And then everybody got murdered and only left us for dead. So the last thing we got to do is make it 
look right. So they begin to stab each other. Billy and Stu do. Oh, yeah. Sydney disappears. So during all of this altercation and stuff of them, like stabbing and stabbing, she just kind of goes missing. And and poor Stu is just like kind of like, I feel pretty woozy here, man. Like, I think you I, I think you went too deep and all this stuff. And Billy is fucking losing it because he's talking us uh, previous to uh, Sydney leaving is explaining their uh, their reasoning for doing this, that they killed her mother because her mother was a cheating whore that slept with his father and caused his mother to leave. Uh, but remember, he's totally over it. She left a year ago or whatever, and he. Yeah, she got he got over it so totally adjusted totally adjusted Clear, clearly well and then the dad gets pulled out of the closet and then they like throw him on the floor taped together and stuff and she oh, yeah. she has to just like stand there and watch her father like lay on the floor as they're stabbing each other and telling her like this whole story is unfolding essentially yep so they then put the cell phone that was a cloned version of his cell phone and the the voice manipulation box uh, and put that on him and everything like, boom, it's all tied up. He's already a suspect, you know, like he's going down for it. We're, he killed all these people and then shoots himself in the head. That's what happens. And we were left for dead. Sydney goes missing. Gail shows up after driving a van with blood all over it, all over the place. Like she just has her own little off-road adventure for a little bit. And she ends up showing up and uh gets the gun because Stu goes to grab the gun to deal with sydney since she's disappeared and he can't find it he's like i left it right here like it's like the most matthew lillard ways like it was right here. like it's really good um and now the roles have kind of reversed so the gun's missing sydney's gone and they start hunting her down trying to find her Sydney comes out of the closet dressed as Ghostface, stabs uh, Billy a couple times in the chest with a uh, an umbrella, and Gail gets ready to shoot, but it's not working. Billy over- overpowers her, knocks her out, gets ready to shoot her, and explains that like the gun works better when the safety's off. Then. Uh, Sydney, I believe, is gone again, makes a phone call and starts playing the role of like the killer kind of thing. And Billy's getting all pissed and Stu's on the phone now and uh, is basically talking about like, you know, like everybody's going to find out. And Stu's like, are you going to tell my mom and dad's like, yeah, they're going to find out. And he's like, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. And like his reasoning for this is like, well, why'd you do it or whatever? He's like, peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> but Stu so tries quotable. to kill. Yeah, like this whole thing, Stu is just like one liner after one liner. Like, it, you cut me too deep. I think I'm dying. Like everything yeah. he says, no matter how tragic, it's just good. But uh, Stu goes to try and uh, take care of Sydney. He then gets. Uh, like kind of judo tossed if i remember down tv knocked on his head and he is electrocuted done so for him uh solid kill yep yep 
then Billy is actually shot by Gale this time. She awakens after being knocked out, shoots him, and Sid takes the gun from him, or from Gale, walks up to Billy, and uh, Randy says, like, this is the part in the movie where the, you know, the killer gets one last thing, and Billy sits up, like, and Sid just right in the head, right between the eyes, dead, and she says, not in my movie. Where that, I don't think that would work in any other movie. But it fits nope. with this. No. One. It yeah, it's it somehow works for this movie. Um we cut to like the camera panning out and everything. Uh we hear like Gail is breaking the story of, you know, what has happened here and everything, and then we roll credits. Uh that is the gist of the movie for the most part no matter how many things i i missed and then we had to go back yeah. on that's that's it you've seen it it all kind of rolls together so it's easy to get things confused and then the other thing i liked about this movie is that the the ghost face the real name of that costume is called father death that's the name of the costume that they have to buy in order to dress up as it so i was like that's kind of funny because you see like a packaging of it somewhere and it says yeah. that and i was like that's really clever they say uh Dewey in the movie says that like it's hard to track this suit because it's sold at every five and dime uh, store. Uh, after the re- release of this movie, uh, this has become to this date, I believe, the highest selling Halloween costume. Like, period. Well, like, well it, do you remember those years? Like after we all watched this, when we were probably too oh, young yeah. to watch this, and like every Halloween, all the kids at school wear this, and I was just like, this is 500. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Two two kids in school, all five hundred of them are wearing it. Like it, there were more of these costumes than there were kids. Yeah, it was crazy. But uh, yeah, so let's uh, go around and give our ratings on Scream. So out of uh, <laughs> out of ten Rose McGowan nipples, <laughs> <laughs> um, Tasha, what what do you give Scream? All right. I love this movie. I love the fact that Wes Craven was able to condition us to think that a ringing phone was scary. Uh, that I think is great. I Watching it as a kid, like it doesn't hit. This is another one that it doesn't hit the same, but it hits in a different way. The nostalgia ghost face isn't scary to me. It's comical when he's running through and knowing that this movie has like hyperbole and has like self-awareness and all of that it it's done beautifully kind of like how you guys talked about uh trick-or-treat i see this movie as my trick-or-treat um because of all of the like the rules that they're trying to follow and then they break and you know the, the like i mentioned the archetypes earlier it's so beautifully spelled out i'm giving this movie a nine i've watched it multiple times we watched it just a couple months ago which is probably why I fell asleep the other night watching it. (laughs) (laughs) But this one is, this one's a good one. It's on rotation. Yeah. Nice. Steph, what do you you give it? Oh, okay. Rose McGowan's. Nine Rose McGowan's. Um, Yeah. uh, Okay. So again, I haven't seen this movie in 20 years, so I know it hit different when i was a kid i was i had to leave all the lights on i was afraid to go to sleep like i am not a slasher film person there that's just not my jam i mean i do like a little texas chainsaw massacre but other than that most of those movies don't hit for me but this movie is brilliant like 
in a way that most horror movies are not brilliant. And like what Tasha was saying, I think Trick or Treat is my favorite horror movie overall, just because it's built so beautifully and just the creativity of it. But this hits right up there with it only because it's built the way that it's built. And it's because it's self-aware, like she said, and it's just, it's, it's still holds up to its hype and its creativity almost 30 years later. I mean, that's saying something. And I'm going to say that I will give this movie an eight and that's really high for me. So I, I ate Rose McGowan's nipples. That's <laughs> you, what I'm right You ate them? Oh my God. <laughs> I ate them. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, this is my favorite slasher. Uh, not to beat a dead horse, basically the same thing that you girls said. Uh, it's it's masterfully done and everything. Um, I also am not the biggest slasher fan. I I like them and everything, like, uh, but that's not my go to. But that being said, uh, this movie has so many so many good things. Even like its falters are completely excusable. Like the soundtrack during the movie, like I like Nick cave and the bad seeds, like the red right hand song and everything mm. is, you know, boom, dun, 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 dun. it just, it totally has this vibe and everything going with it. Yeah. It's good. Uh, I'm, I'm splitting the difference between the both of you. Uh, I am giving this movie eight and a half Rose McGowan nipples out of 10. Uh, I don't think that there's a, a straight slasher that I like more. This is, uh, this is really good. I was really, I was like, Do, does it go to nine? It's better than an eight. So it sits there snugly in the middle. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I, and the cast is just incredible. Like the, the star studded and in a lot of them, like we'd said, they're not even like super famous at this point. Like a lot of them haven't really had a lot of screen time um, other than like Drew Barrymore at this point, really uh, other than the Fonz. Cause you know, the Fonz is the Fonz, but um, I really like that about this because then everybody in this movie, for the most part, other than Skeek Ulrich's character, goes on to then make a lot more movies and have a lot more, you know, noto notoriety and stuff in their films. And Matthew Lillard has always been just really funny. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like great. Dev Campbell is in the new Twisted Metal show. Like, like we were pretty. Yeah, we I forgot really about that. Yeah, about she that. Is. We just like started watching that out of nowhere um, a couple months ago. Like when it first started, we binged it over the weekend. And it was just like, oh shit, Neff Campbell's still out here pumping out the jams. Yeah, so. yeah Ski Ulrich is just basically the guy from Scream. Yeah. Seems like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what is your, uh, what's your, uh, your teacher's grade for Scream there, Tasha? Figured out what I was doing wrong. And we have a proper <laughs> percentage this time. All right. 85 which 85, i that's... which i think is our highest rating yeah oh, by far absolutely. this is the this is the only movie yes, we've is. agreed on yes. <laughs> this is this is the definitely right out of my mouth <laughs> this yep. is definitely uh the uh trio of terror approved well i was surprised tasha because you're not a big like gore and I know this movie isn't like gratuitous in its gore, but like there are entrails and like some scenes that are a little more bloody than others. So I was curious to see if that was going to bother you in this or if it was just kind of like going along with the, the theme exactly. of this the movie. This is Scream. Like it can't do wrong. Even the new one. The new one is good, but it's good because it harkens back to the original. 
like mm. in this there's like the music was forgettable to me i don't remember i remember that song but i couldn't place where it was but yeah like it's and this is where like had i known going into trick or treat that it was supposed to be like tongue in cheek i probably would have liked it more um i knew that going into scream so all of that was just added to the to the makeup of the movie so I think going in now, if there are any movies I at least need to that I don't know, I at least need to know the the category it falls into, so then I know like what to expect. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like it's uh the our our end all scoring is uh over ten percent higher than any other film that we've reviewed. Like wow. it's like exponentially higher. So um, this is a game club. I forgot to mention that at the the top, but. Maybe. Our movie club. club what the hell is wrong with me take two because we have a lot of yes, board games we've got a lot of board games um so at the end of this episode we are telling you what we are getting ready to watch so you can watch it before you listen to us so our next movie that we are watching uh be prepared to watch the witch from from i believe it's like 2014 maybe somewhere in there so uh we will be watching The Witch, uh, of which we will be talking about. So thank you for listening to Pot of the Dead. I am Nicholas. I am Natasha. I am Stephanie. And come back and listen to us next week. Or else. Bye.